Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. We're spending a lot of time, energy, and effort on our culture, whether that's the diversity, equity, inclusion agenda, whether that is how we build talent and leaders. And I'm a big proponent of folks that have teams are leaders, not managers. So we just deployed a new leadership competency model that helps our leaders be better leaders and develop their talent. Without this, without the right culture that's grounded in all of the important things that build a great culture, the business will not succeed, period. I have never witnessed a successful business without it being focused on the team and the culture. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, in another life, I would go back and literally apply to PepsiCo when I started my career. (laughs) Tell me more. I was lucky that I was on the agency side and I got to work on the Pepsi business, but there is something that is in the water there. The way that they develop their people. And I know we've talked about this in the past, but it it continues to be true. Every single time I interact with someone who spent at least, I'd say five years at PepsiCo, they're so well-trained. They're strategic thinkers. They're energetic. They're charismatic. They're storytellers. And they go on to do great things in their career. Uh, I have to say, we are lucky at Profiteur to have one of those folks. Nobody is allowed to poach. All of you listeners, you're not allowed to poach. But Christina Vale, who heads up our uh, consulting capability and heads up strategy here. I mean, she's such a rock star. Spent five years at PepsiCo. So I'm seeing it. I'm obviously believing it from a lot of the folks that we've had on the podcast, people we know, not to mention today's guest. Yeah. So Seth Kaufman, long-term PepsiCo exec, who then left to become CEO of Moet Hennessy, North America, part of the LVMH family. And, you know, he really started there right before the pandemic struck. So, you know, what a time to take a new job and transform a category. I don't know anything about taking a new job during the pandemic. Whatever. It's really no big deal. Been there, done that. (laughs) What's so striking about Seth in particular, listening to him speak, obviously for you know, you guys are going to hear from him. He is exceptionally dynamic, but I love a leader that has memory stickers because it is hard to communicate, especially if you're dealing with a first remote culture. The way that he speaks is so thoughtful, but also so memorable. And I am a big fan of alliteration, but he did speak about three really different topics. So you guys can kind of like track along, but keep your little uh, S filter on. First, he talks about servant leadership, and that can be so easily misunderstood. He breaks down in an easy to understand way, and it's helpful for leaders and followers alike. He talked about the role of a studio and how they use that to connect the dots between on-premise and e-premise, but not to cannibalize the 
broader storytelling. And then my favorite is that scrimp to splurge. <laughs> Rach, you want to talk about that? Save a little in one place, spend a little bit more in another place. And apparently that's having positive impacts on, say, the champagne category. So on that note, let's bring Seth Kaufman onto the show. Hello, Seth. Hello, hello. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We're super excited to have you on the show, Seth, because we talk about talent a lot. There's always something in the water of PepsiCo alum that go on to do great things. We had Lauren Hobart on the show last year, for example. You were one of the many names that we often drop of people who came out of the Pepsi family and went on to do great things. And the last time that you and I caught up, you were fairly new into your new role at Moet. And you talked about how you were establishing moonshot goals for the business as a way to lead and inspire your teams. You know, what are those moonshot goals that you established when you took on this new position? Yeah, it's a great question. I'd say moonshot goals that I established with the team, not that I established and deployed to the team. But when I came in, we really took a, a broad look at the business and it was a successful business, but we wanted to see where we could go. And did a lot of work on strategy and essentially landed at a place that we thought it was very, very realistic to actually double the profit by 2030. That was the financial moonshot goal. And what I'd say on that is we're tracking well, well ahead of that. So we'll likely double the profit from where we were well ahead of 2030. But importantly, that wasn't it. As I started to learn the business, started to learn the team, one of my observations was, that we were a wine and spirits business that happened to dock into a luxury group rather than being a luxury wine and spirits business. And those two things are very, very different. So the other part of it beyond the financial moonshot, beyond doubling the profit, was to become the leading luxury wine and spirits portfolio. And that has driven every single decision, every choice that we've made and all of our initiatives. And We've got a lot of work to do still to get there, but I'm really, really confident based upon the team that we're building, the initiatives and the momentum that we will be not just a much, much bigger business doubling the profit, but also a true luxury wine and spirits business, which is exciting when it comes to brand desirability, when it comes to pricing power, when it comes to storytelling, all of the things that luxury brands do really, really well when they connect and engage their consumers. And when something is so far away, off into the distance, because it's such an aspirational goal, do you feel the need to report back to your teams to show progress? Like, hey, we're making gradual improvement towards this. Rachel, it's a huge part of leading this team in this effort, which is a constant reminder of what we're after, what the strategic imperatives are to get there, and then also the successes the momentum and the achievements along the way. So in all of our town halls, in almost every team discussion we have, we revisit the strategy, we talk about it, and then we talk about where we've done well, where we're ahead, and where we need to make tweaks and adjustments to be agile. Because if we're not agile in this work, given how much changes as quickly as it changes, we'll never be able to get there. So it's important from a strategy perspective to adjust, but it's also important to your point from a motivation perspective to revisit where we are constantly with the team. It's a great point. And I think it dovetails well into the conversation about inclusivity, just even hearing the way that you speak about how you work with the team to create those goals, how you really involve them in the totality of the experience. That's also a cultural shift versus the uh, top-down command and control. There are so many of those little things that bubble up into how a culture 
is fostered. And so whether it's sustainability, your DEI agenda, like how does all of that stuff translate into the ultimate goal of frankly selling more alcohol? Yeah. For me, it absolutely starts with the team and the people, which you have to have the right culture. You guys mentioned at the beginning of this that I spent a lot of time at PepsiCo. And one of the biggest things and most important things I learned there was what it means to be a servant leader, a leader that really, really builds the right culture, but then works with the team to set the vision and then spends all their time, energy, and effort knocking down the barriers and obstacles that get in the way of achieving that vision. So I had the gift of PepsiCo when I came into this. And what I'd say is from the very, very beginning, Sarah, it was about a people first organization, a people first business, a people first culture. And that includes inclusivity It includes real empowerment. And this was a big shift from a command and control to a team that was empowered. And by the way, the agility comes from that. And also the accountability comes from that. So we're spending a lot of time, energy and effort on our culture whether that's the diversity, equity, inclusion agenda, whether that is how we build talent and leaders. And I'm a big proponent of folks that have teams are leaders, not managers. So we just deployed a new leadership competency model that helps our leaders be better leaders and develop their talent. Without this, without the right culture that's grounded in all of the important things that build a great culture, the business will not succeed, period. I have never witnessed a successful business without it being focused on the team and the culture. Can we go a little bit deeper into this servant leadership? Because I'm a huge proponent of servant leadership, but sometimes that can be also misconstrued because I've espoused this servant leadership thing in the past. And when, when you start talking about that, people think that the power dynamic is flipped to the point that we are just here to serve you as leaders. Now, we are here to enable you. We are here to empower you. We are here to make sure that you've got all the tools in order to be successful. But how do you define what servant leadership means in a way that doesn't disempower the leadership ability? How do you do it in a way that still retains what you want that North Star to be, what you want that moonshot to be? It starts from the perspective of the most important person in the company is the person that is closest to the consumer. That is the whole theory behind why servant leadership. And then if you think about that, as you move further up in the organization, you're further away from the consumer, so you actually know less. So why should I, who so far away from the consumer, be making all the decisions without that knowledge at the ground level? So it starts with that principle. Then, You work with the team to build the right vision and strategy to deliver against consumer needs, to deliver against growth needs, to deliver against culture needs. But it doesn't mean that all the power then shifts. What it means is that I'm not going to tell that individual who's closest to the consumer where to put their pencil. They can figure out where to put their pencil. They know what they need to do to stay agile, to serve the needs of that consumer. And my leadership team and I need to break down the barriers and obstacles that are getting in the way, the processes, you know, all of the things that slow down large organizations. But there's absolutely, Sarah, still accountability in that, right? For folks to be empowered, they need to be accountable. So when things are not working, it has to be addressed through the right level of leadership. And that's, again, part of why we've also deployed this new leadership competency model, because we want to build exceptional leaders who know how to recognize what's working recognize what's not, and then coach and develop their team to pivot. 
So it's a very, very nuanced model. And it absolutely doesn't mean the leadership team and I just sit around and wait for the team below us to, to ask us to do something or tell us what to do. It's about that true empowering that individual closest to the consumer to make real-time decisions in service of the business. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. I feel like we could pick your brain all day, at least I would like to, on being a great leader. But there are some amazing things that you've started to do at Moet that I would love for you to to speak to. At least for me, as an end consumer of, of alcohol, you don't often think that a company, right, that's in the business of producing and selling alcohol is making huge investments in sustainability and DEI. And so how did you build the business case internally to explain that those things would lead to sales? I'm fortunate enough to be at a group that is a a group oriented for the long term. And when I say that, I don't mean 10 years. I mean hundreds of years. And that is one of the core philosophies of LVMH. When you think about it through that lens, and when you think about creating a truly sustainable business, you have to build it in a way that is in service of the long-term. And that absolutely, absolutely includes sustainability because we have to protect our planet. Otherwise, the business can't exist in 100 years if the planet doesn't exist in 100 years. So that's really, really important. But then also making sure that the team is reflective of the world out there becomes more and more important over time. So when I think about building the right team, thinking about sustainability for long-term, but also true diversity and inclusion along with equity, that will result in a much, much stronger team that makes better decisions because there's better debate about what's going to drive the business. And that, Rachel, will ultimately lead to more sales because if you're making better decisions, it's going to drive the business. So if there are not heated debates around the leadership table or around whatever table a team is at, the decisions are not going to be as effective. So when I think again about building for the long term, building the right culture, you have to have different perspectives around that table in order for my own viewpoints to be challenged, which will result in then better decisions and more growth for sure in the short, medium, and the long term. We're starting to see it already in the numbers. I believe that last year, revenue grew 26%. In some of the earnings reports, it seems like a lot of the growth was cited as because on-premise came back. 
How do you think about now in this sort of post-pandemic world, the relationship between on-premise and e-commerce? Yeah, I'll start from the perspective of through the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, consumption of beverage alcohol has changed fundamentally. And a lot of consumers are looking more for experiences, not just the consumption, but what is the experience? How do they spend quality time with the people that they love spending time with, whether that's virtually or in person? Obviously, as part of that, as on-premise started to reopen, consumers were really, really excited to get back into the on-premise and, and, and celebrate and be together. On-premise has historically been a place where beverage alcohol brands have been built, where you know we build consumer behavior, where consumers become aware of new brands, et cetera. What is fascinating and super interesting to me is there are very, there's a lot of similarities between on-premise and e-premise. You have the opportunity to have a deeper experience with the consumer and tell stories. When a consumer is in a bar, a restaurant, we can have a sommelier, we can have a bartender romance our products, tell the stories of our products. And that, by the way, is luxury. At the same time, when you think about the engagement on different e-premise outlets, you could do storytelling, right? We could do a piece on what makes champagne different and special versus Prosecco, Cava, other sparkling. So you actually have the opportunity to have an engaged consumer in the e-premise space where you can tell stories, romance the brands, and actually build brand desirability, very similar to how you build brand desirability in on-premise. That desirability leads to sales, it leads to increased pricing power, and then that obviously helps drive the overall business. It's a great point. And I think your point on romancing the e-premise is one that is frequently overlooked in an organization because it's sprouted often from things like FSIs and like just standard pack images and stuff like that. But if you take the product description page and you really maximize every pixel, you can turn that into an opportunity to more deeply engage. But how do you get the organization aligned to think that every possible experience in that digitally influenced sale, because there's plenty of people that are using the e-premise to influence something that they're going to be buying in a brick and mortar, or even a choice you're going to be making at an event or at a bar. How do you get the entire organization aligned on what you just said about e-prem and on-prem actually being more similar than one would think? It's mindset and capability. So I'll start with mindset, which is with the goal of shifting from a wine and spirits business that happens to dock into a luxury group to a luxury wine and spirits business, everything becomes about crafting experiences and storytelling. Every interaction with a consumer. That mindset, it ignores the where, right? It's on-premise, it's off-premise, it's e-premise, it's, it's every interaction. So part of it is the mindset. And one of the things that we did early on when I came in is we took folks from different functions, different levels in the organization. We asked them to create our e-business plan because they were the ones that were smartest in the space. And they took a couple of months to do it with pushes from myself, other people on the leadership team, and we created the strategy. But Sarah, it was all with that mindset of crafting experiences and, and storytelling. You also, though, you need the capability. You need people who understand the space. So we've been very, very aggressive at recruiting in new talent who are masters, 
masters in e-business who we can teach luxury, we could teach our business to, they can learn on-premise, but they're bringing this knowledge of how the e-business works overall. And then you also have to think about what are areas that you want to invest in new capabilities beyond talent. We actually started a content studio about a year ago where we, we now control what our images look like, what the storytelling is, rather than rely on external sources all the time. That certainly helps. It certainly helps bring the things together and have more of a storytelling, crafting experience way of going in the E, similar to how it would be traditionally in the on-premise. So that studio goes across all different kinds of content, whether it be your social content or your e-prem content or whatever. So they become almost like that creative center of excellence from within or creative production center of excellence from within. Yeah. On the right projects they have. The expertise here is also visual merchandising and beauty and how pictures are taken. Where we think we can do it better, where we think we have the capability, we absolutely do it in our own content studio. There's other areas where outsourcing or partnering external makes sense, but we're being very, very thoughtful and strategic. And we have this great capability to be able to deploy the right looking content, the right feeling content where it really, really matters. As you guys evolve to really ensure that the company is perceived as a luxury brand, have you seen a shift in customer demographics? For example, obviously at Micmac, we do a ton of work with alcohol brands. And what we're seeing in our data right now is that there's more women buying booze online than men. Historically, one would think that men were buying most of the booze. Certainly over the last few years, so much has evolved as far as which consumers are engaging in which categories. I'll take the, the two biggest categories that we have, which are champagne and cognac. And we have our core users that we had pre-pandemic still with us, but we've recruited in a lot of new consumers and new segments who are experiencing these brands for the first time. And I would say what's, what's fascinating and interesting and encouraging is also this idea of kind of scrimp to splurge which is we see a lot of consumers saving in some areas in order to spend more in other areas where quality really, really matters. Our business has benefited from that. And because of that, we've seen a lot of new consumers coming in. Rachel, I also think it's going to be fascinating to watch across every beverage alcohol category mm -hmm. in the coming years. You know, whiskey is a category right now that we're seeing more female consumers coming into. And this is historically a older male dominated category. Mm -hmm. Really, really interesting with new brand expressions, with new experiences. And some of our innovation that we've deployed in our whiskey portfolio has been specifically targeted there, which allows new consumers to come in. So I'm very encouraged by what I see as far as being able to retain core consumers while bringing new consumers in. I'm also fascinated to watch it over the next few years as things continue to evolve in this space. Sarah and I will take any whiskey that you're targeting women with to our, our house address. We're, we're not influencers in that space, but, you know, we're influencers in something. Noted. Noted. <laughs> you know, Seth, I've, I've had the pleasure of knowing you for certainly over a decade, but I have no idea how you're going to answer this question, which is what's the bravest thing that you've ever done? I like to operate from the perspective of if I'm not challenging my own comfort all the time then something is wrong and I, I, you know, things could become stagnant. That said, probably the bravest thing I've ever done is now quite some time ago, which is jumped out of a 
perfectly flying, functioning airplane. And I didn't do it once, but I did it three times. And of course, given how I like to approach things, I didn't do it in the typical, you're tied to an instructor, but rather did it through this course called Accelerated Freefall, where you learn everything over the course of a couple of days, and then you jump out with your own shoot. An instructor is near you during free fall, but once you throw your own shoot, you're, you're all alone. So I did it the first time I loved it. The second time I loved it. The third time my shoot didn't fully open. And I had to use all the tactics and methods that they taught me in order to get the shoot open. And because I was free falling for longer than I should have been, I was unable to get back to where we were supposed to land. So I got a little signal over my earpiece, which said, just find an open field and land there and we'll come pick you up. That was the last time I went skydiving, but it was certainly, certainly a blast while I did it. Wait, wait, wait. back it up a little bit. Crazy. You have kids, right? This is free kids, Sarah. That was my question. Okay. Brave yet thoughtful. Long time ago. Yes. Yes. You have a lot more insurance now. Folks, if Seth is hiring, I highly encourage you to send your resume over. One of the greatest living leaders right now. I think you probably all saw that on the podcast. And Seth, we're so appreciative for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, You guys are the best and I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.